Chapters six and seven of Rose Mather, a tale by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Six, finding something to do for the war. The next morning, the Mather carriage containing both Mrs. Carleton and Rose drove down the hollow and stopped in front of Annie's gate. Mrs. Carleton's business was with Widow Sims, who was mixing bread in the kitchen, and who experienced considerable trepidation when told the grand Boston lady had asked for her. "'I'm pesky glad I hain't tattled about Jim,' she thought, as washing the flour from her hands and hooking her sleeves at the wrist, she entered the sitting-room and, with a low curtsy, waited to hear the lady's errand. Mrs. Carleton had come with a request that the widow should not repeat what Rose had so heedlessly told her the previous night you may think it strange that i care so much mrs carleton said and until you are placed in similar circumstances you cannot understand how i shrink from having it known that my son could fall so low or do so great injustice to his early training if the widow had possessed one particle of prejudice against the carletons this would have disarmed her entirely but she did not isaac's letter had swept that all away and she replied that jimmy's secret was as safe with her as if locked up in an iron chest i did feel blazin mad at you though for a spell she said for i thought you might have brung him up better but this cured me entirely and she handed isaac's letter to rose bidding her read it aloud noble boy you must be proud of him was mrs carleton's comment while rose ever impulsive seized upon a new idea it would be so nice for the rockland ladies to fit up a box of things and send to company r reserving a corner for tom and will she should do it anyway on her own responsibility if nobody chose to help her and she whispered to annie that george should have a large share of the delicacies she would provide you may send that candy to tom if you choose she said to the widow though i think cod liver oil would be better and the ointment too only it mustn't sit near my preserves for fear the two will get mixed rose had found something to do and so absorbed was she in a plan which every one approved that she forgot to cry all the time for will as she had fully intended doing up the streets and down she went sometimes walking sometimes riding but always in a flurry always excited now tumbling over dry goods boxes in quest of one large enough to hold the many articles preparing in rockland for the then ill-fed suffering soldiers of the thirteenth regiment now up at the express office bargaining about the expense which she meant to bear herself and now down at the hall adroitly smoothing over little bickerings frequently arising among the ladies assembled there concerning the articles sent in some declaring the fried apple pies brought by mrs baker should not go nor yet the round balls of dutch cheese she had saved sour milk two weeks to make just because billy relished it so much long with apple turnovers poor old mrs baker it was the best she could do and when rose saw how the tears came at the prospect of billy's losing the feast she had prepared with so much care she declared the cheese should go if she had to send it in a separate box it was just so with the widow's poke ointment some of the ladies wondering what next would be brought in and what it could be for rose knew exactly what twas for tom had corns and the despised salve was for him so that should go if nothing else but when susan ruggles sims her thoughts intent on john brought in a round of roasted veal which her mother-in-law said would be in a most lively condition by the time it reached washington rose after suggesting that it be packed in ice and put in a refrigerator yielded for once and persuaded the girl-wife to carry home her veal which would most surely be spoiled ere john came to see it you can write him a nice long letter 
she said when she saw how disappointed susan looked you can tell him your intentions were good until we old experienced married ladies persuaded you out of them so susan with a sigh carried back her nice stuffed roast the widow muttering in an aside tone that's all them shiftless ruglesses know might as well send maggots and done with it it was a strange medley that huge box contained for every member of company r was remembered thanks to the indefatigable rose who procured a list of the names and when she found any without friends in that immediate vicinity she supplied the deficiency from her own store of luxuries of course will and tom fared the best while next to them came lieutenant graham and isaac sims rose writing a tiny note to the latter telling him how much she liked him for speaking so of tom and sending him a pair of her fine linen sheets because she couldn't think of anything else and thought these would be cool to sleep in on hot summer nights dear little rose how fast she grew in popularity the people wondering they had never seen before how good she was and imputing some portion of her present interest to the presence of her mother who had made arrangements to remain for an indefinite length of time in rockland and who far less demonstrative than her active daughter did much by her sensible advice to keep the wheel in motion and rose from overdoing the matter so zealously taken in hand the box was packed at last every chink and crevice was full mrs baker's dutch cheese and fried apple pies were there wrapped by rose mather in innumerable folds of paper tied around with yards of the strongest twine she could find and safely stowed away where they could not be harmed widow sims ointment too and the candy she had made occupied a corner together with her daguerreotype sent to isaac and a letter to captain carleton that letter was a mammoth undertaking but the widow felt it her duty to write it groaning and sweating and consulting perry's old leather-bound dictionary for every word of which she felt at all uncertain and driving poor annie nearly distracted with asking if this were grammar and if that were too lovin'-like for a widder to send a widower not a little amused annie gave the required advice smiling in spite of herself as she read the note the widow handed her and which ran as follows my dear mr captain carleton i can't help puttin dear before your name you seem so nigh to me since isaac told how kind you was to him i'm nothin but a shrivelled dried-up widder fifty odd years old but i've got a mother's heart big enough to take you in with my other boys i know you are a nice clever man but whether you're a good one as i call good i don't know though being you come from boston i'm afraid you're a unitarian and i'll never quit prayin for you till i know that's about all i can do for i'm poor a'most as job's turkey but if there's any shirts or trousers or the like o that wants makin let me know for i don't believe your mother or sister is great at sewin mrs marthers ain't i know though as nice a little body as ever drawed the breath your wife is dead too they say and that comes hard again i know just how that feels for my man died eighteen years ago last october a few weeks before isaac was born i send you some intment for your feet and some bits of linen rags to bind round your toes also some red pepper candy in my likeness to isaac he'll let you see it if you want to it don't peer to me that my eyes is as dull as that or my lips so puckered up but we can't see as others see us and i ain't an atom proud heaven bless you for being kind to isaac and if an old woman's prayers and blessings is of any use you may be sure you have mine if you come to battle be so good as to oversee him won't you and get him put way back if you can excuse haste and a bad pen yours with regret 
mrs belinda sims this was the widow's letter sent with tom's parcel to washington where the box was greeted by the company with exclamations of joy and could those who sent it have seen the eager happy faces of each one as he found he was remembered they would have felt doubly repaid for all the trouble and annoyance it had cost them only one growl of dissatisfaction was heard and that from harry baker who with a muttered oath exclaimed as he undid his paper parcel apple turnovers by jing sour than swill and mouldier than the rot hello bill got some too i see what in fury is this dutch cheese as i'm alive make good bullets for secesh so here goes and the next moment there whizzed through the air the cheese poor old mrs baker had found so hard to smuggle in the apple pies followed next and then the reckless harry amused himself with jeering at bill who after carefully stowing away in his pocket the large strong twine rose mather had bound around the paper parcel seated himself upon the ground and was munching away at his pie not because he liked it but because his mother had sent it and billy's mother was dearer to him now than when he was at home meanwhile in another part of the camp tom carleton was opening his parcel while around him stood a group of officers some his personal friends whom he had known in boston there must be some mistake he said as he daubed his white fingers with the sticky candy but rose had packed his things in a separate box and directed it herself there could be no mistake and he continued his investigations coming next upon the widow's picture which rose had carelessly placed in his parcel it would be impossible to describe tom's look of amazement and perplexity as his eye fell upon the face which looked out upon him from its glass covering precise puckered and prim with a decided best clothes air who could it be tom asked this question aloud while his companions laughingly declared it some lady love he had left behind suggesting at last that he read the note which lay just beneath it as that might explain the mystery so tom did read it with a fellow-officer looking over his shoulder and reading too but there was too much of the anxious genuine mother tone about that letter to cause more than three or four hearty laughs at the expense of tom and the widow tom knew now for whom the picture was intended and he carried it to isaac but it was many a day ere tom carleton heard the last of mrs belinda sims numerous were the thanks sent by company r to rose for her kind thoughtfulness in setting afloat a plan which brought them so much good and rose as she received the messages wished it was all to be done again and wondered what she could find to do next one of will's letters told her at last what to do she could be kind to the soldiers if there were any in rockland she could visit their families speak to them words of comfort and supply if needful their necessities this was just what suited her and she commenced her task with a right good will startling many an awkward youth wearing a soldier's dress by accosting him in the street inquiring into his history and frequently ending the interview by offering him her soft white hand and leaving in his rougher one a piece of money which affected him less than the brightness of the brilliant eyes he remembered long after the silver was spent every soldier's wife and every soldier's mother was looked after and the mather carriage was oftener seen in the muddy hollow and by lanes in rockland than at the gates of more pretentious dwellings harry's mother and bill's and others of her standing blessed the little lady for the sunshine brought so often to their squalid homes while annie and widow sims prayed from a full heart that no evil should befall the husband or the brother of the heroic rose seven the battle 
brightly beautifully the sabbath morning broke over all the hills of the northland covering them with floods of rosy light burnishing the forest trees with sheens of gold and cresting each tall spire with colours which seemed born of paradise so radiantly bright they looked flashing from their lofty resting-place and glancing off across the valleys where the fields of waving corn and summer wheat were growing to the westward too where prairie on prairie stretches on into almost interminable space the same july sun was shining as quietly as peacefully as if in the hearts of men there burned no bitter feeling of fierce and vindictive hate no thirsting for each other's blood oh how calm how still it was that sunday morning both east and north and west and as the sun rose higher in the heavens how soothingly the bells rang out their musical chimes from new england's templed hills to the far-off shores of oregon the echoes rose and fell ceasing only when ceased the tramp of the many feet hastening up to worship god in his appointed way old and young rich and poor father and mother sister and brother husband and wife assembling together to keep the holy day that best day of the seven praying not so much for their own sins forgiven as for the loved ones gone to war the dear ones far away and little little dreaming as they prayed how the same sun stealing so softly up the church's aisle and shining on the church's wall was even then looking down on a far different scene a scene of carnage blood and death for off to the southward near where the waters of the potomac ripple past the grave of our nation's hero another concourse of people was gathered together their sunday bell the cannon's roar their sunday hymn the battle cry long before the earliest robin had trilled its matin song they had been on the move their bristling bayonets glittering in the brilliant moonlight like the december frost as with regular even tread they kept on their winding way knowing not if the pale stars watching their course so pityingly as it were would ever shine on them again onward 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 still they pressed over the hills through the ravines down the valleys across the fields till the same sun which shone so softly on their distant homes rose also over the federal fly as it has been aptly termed moving onward to the web which lay beyond so well concealed and so devoid of sound that none could guess that the treacherous woods wearing so cool so inviting a look were sheltering a mighty expectant host watching as eagerly for the advancing foe as ever ambushed spider waited for its deluded prey backward backward stretched the confederate army line after line rank after rank battalion after battalion until in numbers it more than quadrupled that handful of men steadily moving on from out their leafy covert the enemy peered exulting that the fortunes of the great republic their whilom mother were so surely within their power and pausing for a time in sheer wantonness just as a kitten sports with the mouse she has already captured and knows cannot escape onward 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 swept the federal troops their polished arms and glittering uniforms flashing in the morning sunlight just as the flag for which they fought waved in the morning breeze they were weary and worn and their lips were parched with feverish thirst for hours had passed since they had tasted food or water but not for this did they tarry there was no faltering in their ranks no faintly beating heart no wild yearning to be away no timid shrinking from what the woods now just before them might hold in store and when the whisper ran along the lines that the enemy was in view there was not felt save joy that the long suspense was ended and the fray about to commence there was a halt in the front ranks and while they stand there thus let us look once more upon those whom we have known 
just where the good-humoured faces of the irish regiment and the tall caps of the highlanders are perceptible the thirteenth appears in view our company marching decorously on no lagging no faltering no cowards there though almost every heart had in it some thought of home and the dear ones left behind prayers were said by lips unused to pray and who shall tell how many records of sins forgiven were that morning written in heaven bibles too were pressed to throbbing hearts and to none more closely than to george graham's broad chest he had prayed that morning in the clear moonlight and by the same moonlight he had tried to read a line in annie's well-worn bible opening to where god promises to care for the widow and the fatherless was it ominous that passage did it mean that he so strong so vigorous so full of life should bite the dust ere many hours were done he could not believe it he was too full of hope for that he could not die with annie at home alone so he buttoned her bible over his heart and prayed that if a bullet struck him it might be there fondly hoping that it would break its force there was a shadow on his handsome face and it communicated itself to isaac sims who was glancing so stealthily at him and guessing of what he was thinking isaac too had prayed in the moonlight and he too had thought what if i should be killed wondering if his mother ever would forget her soldier boy even though she might not weep over his nameless grave this to isaac was the hardest thought of all the boy that would not tell a lie for the sake of promotion was not afraid to die but he preferred that it should not be there amid piles of bloody slain he would rather death should come to him in the humble attic for he had lain so oft and listened to the patter of the rain on the roof above or feigned to be asleep when his mother stole noiselessly across the threshold to see if he were covered from the cold and shielded from the snow which sometimes found an entrance through a crevice in the wall tis strange when we are in danger what flights our fancy often takes gathering up the minutest details of our past life and spreading them out before us with startling distinctness so isaac with possible death in advance thought of his past life of every object connected with his home from the grass plat in the rear where his mother bleached her clothes in spring to the blue and white checked blanket hung round his attic bed to protect him from the winter storm that widow so stern so harsh so sharp to almost every one had been the tenderest of parents to him and a tear glistened on the cheek of the fair-haired boy as he remembered the only time he ever was hateful to her he had asked her forgiveness for it and she surely would not recall it when she read the letter eli or john would send bearing the fatal line mother poor isaac is dead he knew they would call him poor isaac for though they sometimes teased him as his mother's great girl baby they petted him quite as much as she only in a different way and he felt now that both would step between him and the bullet they thought would harm him eli would anyway but john perhaps would hesitate as he now loved susan best isaac was proud of his brothers and he glanced admiringly at them as they marched side by side keeping even step just as they did down main street with his mother and susan looking on one now was thinking of susan and one of his widowed mother close by isaac walked bill quiet and subdued he had not prayed that morning he never prayed but when he saw isaac kneeling on his blanket he had said to him manage to get in a word or two for me and hal we need it mercy knows and surely if ever poor mortal needed a prayer it was hal as his brother styled him half stupefied with the vile liquor he had constantly managed to get he trudged on boasting of what he could do only give him a chance and he'd lick the entire secession army he'd like to see the ball that could kill him he was good at dodging he'd show em a thing or two in the way of fight 
he'd take the tuck out of the southern gentleman yes he would and so he went thoughtlessly boasting on to death will mather was not there indisposition had detained him at washington and with a hearty godspeed he had sent his comrades on their way lamenting that he too could not join them and bidding his brother-in-law do some fighting for him at the head of his company captain carleton moved firm erect and dignified as if born to command he did full justice to the carleton name of which he was justly proud but his face was paler than its wont and a tinge of sadness rested upon it as his regiment halted at last in front of what was supposed to be the hidden foe thomas carleton had wept bitter tears when he laid his mary to rest beneath south carolina's sunny skies and had thought he could never be reconciled to the loss but he was half glad now that she was dead for she was born of southern blood and he would rather she should not know the errand which had brought him to virginia where first he met and loved her rather she should not know how he had come to war with her people there was another thought too which made him sad that july day the green beautiful woods standing there so silently before him probably sheltered more than one with whom he had in bygone days struck the friendly hand and bandied the friendly joke for his home was once in richmond and there were there those who once held no small place in his heart and they were dear to him yet he was not fighting against them personally he was contending only for his nation's rights his country's honour he bore no malice toward his southern brethren and like many of our staunchest bravest northern men he would even then have met them more than half-way with terms of reconciliation he knew they were no race of bloodthirsty demons as some fanatics had madly termed them they were men most of them like himself warm-hearted impulsive men generous almost to a fault in peace but firm and terrible in war tom had lived among them had shared their hospitalities had seen them in their various phases and making allowance for the vast difference which education and habits of society make in one's opinions he saw many points wherein the north had misunderstood their actions and not made due concessions when they might have done so without yielding one iota of their honour but time for concession was over now political fanatics had stirred up the mass of the people till naught but blood could wash away the fancied wrong and they were there that sabbath morn to spill it tom however did not know that the green silent wood sheltered his brother for his mother had purposely withheld from him the fact that jimmy had joined the southern army she knew the struggle it had cost him to take up arms against a people he liked so much and she would not willingly add to his burden by telling him of jimmy's sin and it was well she did not for had he known how near he was to jimmy he could not have stood there so unmoved awaiting the first booming gun which should herald the opening of the battle it came at last a bellowing thunderous roar whose echoes shook the hills for miles as the hissing shell went ploughing through the air bursting harmlessly at last just beyond its destined mark the enemy were in no hurry to retort for a deep silence ensued broken ere long by another heavy gun which did its work more thoroughly than its predecessor had done for where several breathing souls had been there was naught left save the bleeding mutilated trunks of what were once human forms the battle had commenced sherman's brigade in which was the new york thirteenth did its part nobly overrunning in its headlong charges battery after battery and wrecking little of the shafts of death falling so thick and fast louder and more deafening grew the battle din hoarser and heavier the battle thunder denser deeper the battle smoke dimming the brightness of that sabbath morn louder shriller grew the gaelic scream fiercer rose the celtic cry 
wilder rang the yells of the thirteenth as its members plunged into the thickest of the fight their demoniacal shouts appalling the hearts of the foe far more than the rain of shot so vigorously kept up and causing them to flee as from a pack of fiends steady in its place george graham's giant form was seen no thought of annie now no thought of home no thought of bible buttoned over the heart thoughts only of the fray and victory not far away and where the fight was thickest the widow's boys eli and john stood firm as granite rocks the beaded sweat dropping from their burning brows begrimed with battle smoke as with unflinching nerve and hands that trembled not they took their aims seeing more than one fall before their sure fire white as the winter snow one boyish face gleamed amid the excited throng the fair hair pushed back from the girlish forehead and the scorching sun falling upon the unsheltered head for isaac's cap had been shot away and the ball which shot it lay swimming in the dark life-blood of poor harry baker just behind and just two inches taller than the widow's youngest born poor harry he had done his best to keep the promise made so boastfully in all the thirteenth regiment there was not one who played a braver part than he firing off with every gun a timely joke which raised a smile even in that dreadful hour but harry's work was done and mrs baker had but one boy now for her first-born lay upon the ground so blackened and disfigured with the thick brain slowly oozing from his mangled head and the purple gore pouring from his lips that only those who saw him fall could guess that it was harry poor harry we say it again sadly reverently for rude and reckless though he was he fell fighting for his country and to all who perished thus we owe a debt of gratitude a meed of praise sacred then be the memory of those whose graves are with the slain far away beneath virginia's sky and sacred to the memory of poor harry baker his own worst enemy he lived his life's brief span and died at last a soldier's death shot plumb through the upper story won't the old woman row it though was bill's characteristic comment as the whizzing and the death shriek met his ear and the falling bleeding figure met his view spite of his jeering words there was a keen pang in billy's heart as he shrank away from the gory mass he knew had been his brother a sudden upheaving of something in his throat and a blur before his vision as he began to realize what it was to go to war but there was then no time to waste over a fallen brother the dread work must go on and with the whispered words poor hal i'll do the tender for you when we get the varmints licked he marked the position by signs he could not miss and then pressed closer to his comrade saying as he did so ike hal's a goner shot right through his top knot with a piece of your cap wedged in his skull if you'd been a little taller you'd been scalped instead of hal so much you get for being stub isaac shuddered involuntarily but ere he could look back the crowd behind pushed him forward and so he failed to see the ruin which but for his short stature would have come to him there were no marks upon him yet nothing save the uncovered head to tell where he had been the balls which struck others passed him by the wind they made lifting occasionally his fair hair but doing no other damage above around before behind at right at left the grape-shot fell like hail but left him all untouched and billy grown timid since poor harry's fate pressed closer to the boy who would not tell a lie as if there were safety there onward onward they pressed isaac wondering sometimes how tom carleton fared and looking again in quest of their young lieutenant graham still towering above them all in spite of rose's prediction 
the ball for which he was the mark had not been fired yet but it was coming an alabamian volunteer had singled out that form yelling exultingly as he saw it reel and totter like a broken reed they were well matched in size the two combatants both splendid marks as rose had said and bill baker's sure aim froze the laugh upon the alabamian's lips and sent him staggering to the ground just as isaac received his captain orders to lead the fainting wounded george to a place of comparative safety it's only my arm they've shattered george whispered glancing sadly at the disabled limb over which isaac's tears were falling will it kill me think was the next remark prompted by a thought of annie isaac did not believe it would and with all a woman's tenderness he bounded up and held his canteen to the lips of the fainting weary man whispering water boy water isaac had not like many others thrown his canteen away and he gave freely to the thirsty george who with each draught felt his pulse grow stronger while his eyes kindled with fresh zeal as the noise of the battle grew louder and seemed to be coming nearer the onslaught was terrible now cannon after cannon belched forth its terrific thunder ball after ball sped on its deadly track battery after battery opened its blazing fire shell after shell cut the summer air and burst with murderous hiss shout after shout rent the smoky sky shriek after shriek went down with the rushing wind officer after officer bit the dust rank after rank was broken up soul after soul went to the bar of god and then there came a pause the firing ceased the stifling smoke rolled gradually away and showed a dreadful sight men mutilated and torn till not a vestige of their former looks was left to tell who they had been mingled together in one frightful mass the dead and dying lay smiles wreathing the livid lips of some and frowns disfiguring others arms hands and feet heads fingers toes and clots of human hair dripping red with blood were scattered over the field parts of the living mass we saw but a few hours agone moving on so hopefully beneath the morning moonlight like leaves of the forest when autumn hath blown they lay there now their mangled remains crying loudly to heaven for vengeance on the heads of those who brought this curse upon us End of chapter six and seven